It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. You made it to Friday, and so did we. So I have been trying to get this guest on happy hour for quite some time, and I am shaking up a virgin blood orange margarita for none other than Will Kane. He is the co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend. He is also the host of the Will Kane Podcast and the Will Kane Show. Uh, now weekdays at noon Eastern, 9 in the West. Very exciting. Thank you. Multimedia, incredibly talented, lives in Texas, commutes to New York to work at Fox, and you have been kind and gracious enough to share a blood orange mocktail margarita with me. This is beautiful. To Will Kane and to Freedom. <laughs> Thank you, to Freedom. To Freedom. Absolutely. Here mm-hmm. we go. Oh, what's? Oh, I've got a um, guitar pick. In mm-hmm. my... That's lovely. That's very lovely. <laughs> so... Word this a margarita, yeah, mm-hmm. and not a, a mocktail. mocktail. Mm-hmm. My father-in-law had strong beliefs about what is a margarita. Okay, he said, and and he made them very simple, yeah. and they were perfect because of their simplicity. Yes, you went simple, which is I don't actually know. I don't know what's in here. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not just being work Boy. safe. Mm-hmm. Work safe. <laughs> I don't know what's in here, yeah. but. Generally, for him, it was tequila and squeeze limes mm-hmm. and fruit. And yeah. it made a it's, – it's crazy how understated can be so good. Not loaded up, on, my point is, with a bunch of sugars and syrups. No, there's no sugar. There's no syrup. Um, if you were making this with alcohol, my suggestion would be how I like to make a blood orange margarita, not that I did today, um, would be uh, two ounces of Casamigos tequila – uh, maybe three quarters, half to three quarters of an ounce of mezcal and a half an ounce of triple sec. And then um, a squeeze of lime juice, very healthy squeeze of a full blood orange. And then you shaky, shaky and uh, strain over ice. It's really good. Oh, I thanks, really well. like the use of the blood orange. It makes it so pretty. And again, were these not virgin, uh, mm-hmm. virgin? Mm-hmm. <laughs> The, the introduction of mezcal is really interesting because it gives it that smoky mezcal yes. flavor. Are you a big fan of mezcal? I like it. I, I don't like it to be overwhelming. Like, I wouldn't want that to be the driving force in a margarita, but I like it to be a compliment. So that's, that's what I would do were I doing that. Well, I have very specific uh, liquor tastes that follow the season. So mm-hmm. I like tequila. It's my favorite sipping liquor yes that's why when you make a margarita with tequila this was an inspiration drawn from your passion for tequila i knew you knew that about me and i knew that this was a tailored drink specifically Mm -hmm. for me which made me feel warm and fuzzy of course so thank you kennedy Mm -hmm. um tequila for me is is summer spring and some (laughs) of fall okay when it gets cold out (laughs) yep winter i usually move to whiskey i i move to bourbon i'm a fan but I've tried. My point I'm driving toward is mezcal. I've tried with mezcal to mm-hmm. to use it as a replacement for tequila to sip, and I like it, but I don't love it. Yes, it's just 
I think maybe I like my meat smoked, but I don't mm-hmm. like my drink smoked. I like bourbon, but I don't love scotch. See, I like tequila. I don't love mezcal. I, I feel the same way. That's why I just, I wanted a little bit, not, you know, if, if we were doing that, I would say I would just put a little bit of mezcal in there yeah. so you could, you Perfect. could sense it, but not be overwhelmed by it because anything that is smoky can totally overwhelm you. And then you do have to put too much sweetener sugar. in there yeah you do have to either lengthen it with too much water or you put too much sugar and it, it loses the point of the drink in my opinion but i agree i love whiskey i love bourbon um scotch is very particular for me i have to be in a very very particular mood you know who loves scotch is chad pergram and so it was really funny we did a thanksgiving podcast and he had like a different scotch for every course and i'm like Chad, if anyone followed this roadmap, they would be hammered long before the mashed potatoes. <laughs> Not to mention the three spirits that you have with pumpkin pie. I've tried. You know, when I went to law school and there was something about that age, which whatever it was, 23, 24, my buddies, I guess in a move to be sophisticated once you go to law school, started drinking scotch. And this was an age when you're starting to set down the keystone mm-hmm. and move to a more sophisticated alcohol palate. But I just couldn't. I don't know what it is about scotch. And by the way, for tequila or for bourbon, I usually drink it simple, just yes. over rocks. And and I, and I enjoy the flavor, but I just can't. I'm just not man enough to be Chad Pergram. But there's there's nothing like a good tequila that you drink with ice and maybe a little bit of lime. When you can sip that, mm-hmm. it's lovely. And and I feel the same way about whiskey. Like, I don't want to complicate. The only time I complicate whiskey is if I'm gambling, playing blackjack, I will drink Beam and Coke or Jack and Coke. I like that you don't feel too sophisticated for that. I, I agree. Every once in a while, Jack and Coke gets just yeah, right. But it's for some reason in Vegas at a, a blackjack table where it's, you know, not a high limit and you can stay there for a few hours, like sipping on Jack and Coke is just fine with me. Here's my one. And we sound like alcoholics. Here's my one um, place. During dry January. <laughs> I like to get fancy with bourbon. I like old fashions. I, old fashions are great. I love a nice dark Oregon cherry. Mm. Why not? Little little citrus, little hint of hello. I also like the name. Yeah. I'll have an old-fashioned, old Gary. Yes, I'm an old-fashioned <laughs> kind of gal. Therefore, I'll have a, a ham ready for my man when he comes home from a hard day slaving at the office. By the way, is there a better bartender name than Gary? Like, order a drink, <laughs> right? Right. Order a drink right now. Hey, I'll have an old-fashioned, Fred. Doesn't land like, I'll have an old-fashioned, Gary. Gary. Yeah, Gary's a... And that's funny you say that because... You have kids. I don't know. Like, this is really interesting because there there are two kinds of parents in this world. And I realize that I fit firmly into this camp. There's the parents who let their kids watch SpongeBob and those who do not. Because when my 18-year-old was in kindergarten, a study came out that said SpongeBob basically causes brain damage. And so parents freaked out and they're like, we're not going to let our children watch SpongeBob. But, you know, my baby daddy and I were like, well, we think it's kind of funny. So we're going to let them watch it because it's a lot better than some of the dumb alternative kid shows, which are completely humorless. But now that she's 18, she has friends who have no idea any of the SpongeBob references. Where are you on the SpongeBob parenting spectrum? Culturally blind. I know nothing about SpongeBob beyond memes. Mm. And I don't know that my boys have or do watch SpongeBob. I, I, my oldest is 16. And maybe this is in the same vein. I did have to ask myself, should I let him like go all in on Mm -hmm. binge watching South Park? Yes. And he does. And I think South Park for the record is genius. Like in the, 
when you write or when the Library of Congress puts together American television, South Park has to be mentioned. I don't know. I don't know. Top five, top 10. It's first of all, it's genius. The piece of work that they churn out on a regular basis tied to the news cycle and then make it timeless and funny. Those guys, I, I'm not throwing around this word casually, are genius. Absolutely right. I, I agree with you completely because the time pressure that they're under, because The Simpsons also has been on the air probably longer than South Park, if memory serves, because Simpsons came on when I was in high school. South Park came on when I was at MTV, so South Park hasn't been on as long. But, you know, it, The Simpsons is known to be populated like I went and watched a table read, which I love that show, but they were like, we have more PhDs than any other writer's room in the history of television. It's like, well, that's great. And there, you know, some very brilliant references, but I agree with you, like the bravery to take on cultural stuff that would get anyone else canceled. And the fact that they do it all essentially at the last minute yes, and, and that time crunch forces them to be even funnier. I also like that was a watershed moment in parenting it's like do you let your kids watch south park and i made the choice to let them when all of this pc stuff me too and dei stuff was happening in the schools and i'm like there needs to be a counterbalance and me sitting there talking about the federalist papers at home would be quite boring and i think we'd have a lot of eye glaze but they essentially get the same thing which is a healthy dose of humor and skepticism if they watch south park and watch them chip away at these sacred institutions perfectly said and that's where i landed i said okay you can watch south park and there's so much over the line with south park yeah. but intentionally so yes. they're trying to be provocative they're trying to say things that are offensive and it's okay to be offended you just don't want your kid to internalize it as the gospel Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Don't go anywhere. More Kennedy saves the world right after this. But back to SpongeBob. I know nothing. I know nothing about SpongeBob. I've it's never really seen funny. an episode there, of SpongeBob. There are two kinds of people who watch SpongeBob. Um, Six-year-olds and stoners. Really? Yeah. And so, you know, I have, I don't smoke weed. I'm allergic, but I do have friends who do. And How do you know you're allergic to weed? Because it, it makes me barf. The times that I've tried it, I've gotten very, very sick. Really? Like, not fun. It's not, it, it's like projectile awful. Wow. Yeah, heart racing. Wow. And I've asked a couple of doctors because I've met cannabis doctors throughout my illustrious pro-cannabis broadcasting career. And they're like, <laughs> even they who are like, oh, yes marijuana increases intelligence by 450 points it's like i think that's impossible based on the scale that we have for iq but okay um but they're like don't smoke weed it is not for you sister i think the weed conversation is interesting kennedy so um i'd, I'd say i spent most of my adult life fairly libertarian mm -hmm. that we shouldn't outlaw bad decisions mm -hmm. and let people um not everything that the government does making it illegal or illegal translates into just or unjust or good or bad or virtue or vice. But I have to say that there's a couple of things we've barreled forward on at light speed that I don't think we've properly analyzed the long-term implications for. One of them is sports gambling. Mm -hmm. I think that we probably don't That's know. very interesting because it's happening so fast. So fast. I mean, I feel the same way about uh, college athletes making so much money so quickly. Yeah. It's like we went from nothing to the floodgates wide open. But this is the nature of conservatism yes. is to say, take slow, 
tradition has value by its very existence. Mm -hmm. It's not a, a tradition isn't a, um, an on its face endorsement of anything that's lasted time. Slavery lasted. I mean, slavery is one of the most traditional um, practices of humanity that doesn't make slavery right, mm -hmm. but it's still a good instinct to say, well, if something has survived thousands of years of human existence by its very survival, it has some value and we should analyze whether or not it should continue. And, um, barreling forward and upturning society revolutionarily is so egotistical that, oh, it's all going to turn out fine. And I don't think we know how it's going to turn out when it comes to gambling. Mm -hmm. Like we've put a device, the phone into every 20 year old guy's hand and allowed him to gamble on the next drive of a football game. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for him 10 years down the road? What kind of vice or habit or addiction has he fostered through gambling? Oh yeah. Gambling is one of those things. I, it is as addictive as heroin and nicotine and any other well, they substance. all have their various addiction levels yeah but there's something about but like, there's I, I think i really think there's something genetic about it like when that switch is flipped it's very hard to shut it off i'm gonna come back to weed don't you think it's fascinating i find addiction so fascinating um because it's different for every person mm -hmm. it's obviously genetic like i've had family members close family members addicted to alcohol mm -hmm. i'm not addicted to alcohol yeah i could give it up easy it's a social thing. I don't know that me. I could give up chocolate. Mine's like if I had to choose between chocolate and alcohol, I would absolutely give up chocolate or actually give up alcohol. Yeah. I could not give up chocolate. Really? Yes. And like, how does that work into your life? Post dinner? Like when is chocolate calling you physically? I've had chocolate three times today <laughs> and I'm not done. Like how, how? Just tell me how you had it. I, I've, I've got three boxes of truffles stocked on my shelf in my kitchen and I don't eat a bunch at once. I love really good dark chocolate and I love like having a little bit like, and then at work we have baskets with like little good bars and crackles and, you know, little Reese's, uh, Hershey's special dark. And like I unwrap one of those and I'm like, <laughs> like I will find ways to work chocolate into everything. That is so far removed from anything I can identify with. I would never ever be addicted to chocolate the hardest thing i've ever ever given up for lent is chocolate by far i've given up alcohol several times and it's like the same thing with dry january like first two weeks you feel great and then after that it's just like oh you know i would i would love a gluten-free beer right now but chocolate was i could not wait for the clock to strike midnight and then i was face first and cabaret cream eggs <laughs> so mine's nicotine interesting and i'm not addicted to alcohol i i feel the pull of addiction when it comes to nicotine yeah and it started when i was 15 because i wanted to be like every other faux cowboy real cowboy baseball player i wanted to chew tobacco yeah and so i started and i started with chew like levi garrett red mm -hmm. man which is really gross i mean the strands where you get the pouch and you oh you you gotta that's where you Woo! visually see the baseball yeah. on the side of your mouth yep. and you like like that's uh, so much nicotine oh uh, it's like the guy in young guns i can't remember the name of the character but you know when you just spit out a huge stream of brown uh -huh. so i did that and then i moved to skull bandits yeah. and then the the i'm not saying this pridefully i'm really not um Every guy, maybe from the South or Texas, or, but I was hanging out with California dudes when I went to college at Pepperdine. Same thing. You aspired to arrive at Copenhagen. That was like oh. graduate school when you were man enough to do Copenhagen. I pushed and pushed and pushed until my 20s. I was doing Copenhagen. Yeah. But and it makes you kind of nauseous. 
Well, it can, yeah. but not if you, you know, build up that tolerance and condition yourself, but it's gross. And, and my wife wanted me to quit. So I quit, but I've, Do you I've, still think about it. No, no, no. I'm still addicted to nicotine. Okay. So meaning, um, okay. Then, th- then I read about, or I had a friend that turned me on to this idea of the Swedish snooze, which doesn't apparently have carcinogenic f- uh, factors. Do you sniff it? No, no, you you dip it still. Oh, okay. Uh, snooze back in the day, like the 1800s, was yeah, like like snuff. It was like, like your grandma sniffed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they call it snooze in Sweden, and and it it apparently doesn't have a link to cancer. They cure their tobacco differently. So I did that, and then I gave that up, and then now my newest thing, and I've talked about it on my shows, and I've talked about it on Fox and Friends. I got I, in the past year. I started doing Zen. Oh yeah, the Z- gum. No, it's a, it's a nicotine pouch. Oh, it's like school bandits. It's like bandits, but there's but it's no just tobacco. nicotine. Because nicotine in of itself, Let me see one. Nicotine in of itself isn't a bad drug. No, it's great. I and mean, it's used to treat colitis and yeah. other inflammatory conditions. Oh, and they do look like little school bandits. They're white because yeah. it's not brown. It's not tobacco. Yes. Now, what people don't, what people confuse is tobacco isn't the carcinogen. It's the carcinogenic. Yes. It's what gives you cancer. Yeah. Not nicotine. No. But, nicot- but I've always thought that there are benefits to nicotine that we're completely glossing over. Short-term focus. Um, but it's the, also the addictive agent. Mm-hmm. So you don't get addicted to tobacco. You get addicted to the nicotine in tobacco. So the question is, what if I remove the bad parts, mm-hmm. the the cancer-causing tobacco, and keep the addictive parts? That's what Zen is. But I will say I tried to quit in December because the bottom line is, back to our conversation about addiction, um, I know I don't have control over it. Yes. I can hear it calling me. Hey, let's have one of those things. Yeah. And I quit for like three weeks, but I'm back. And I told myself <laughs> I'll do it three times a day. And that hasn't How worked How long out. do you leave it in? I think it's fascinating. I leave it in about a half hour. Yeah. To 45 minutes. And do they dissolve? No, do you, you just spit it out? Spit it out. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, my brothers chewed a lot of tobacco when I was growing up. Yeah. And so I tried for a while. And then the dentist was like, your gums are receding. What are you doing? I was like, nothing. And I was really worried he was going to tell my mom. And then I started smoking and I quit smoking when I was 19. And I quit because I used skull bandits because I couldn't afford the patch of the gum. Don't meet a lot of girls that are. No. Tobacco chewers. Or there's a producer on Fox and Friends that does Zen. Yeah. Female. I was like, really? I don't meet a lot of female users of Zen. Yeah, that's funny. No, because everyone's vaping. But then that worries me. Uh, so my daughter is a freshman in college. And so I'm always sending her articles. I just sent her an article about a 22 year old. This was in the New York Post. What a double lung transplant uh, almost died from vaping. Yeah. And I'm like, it's really not worth it, is it? I don't that that worries me. The popcorn lung yeah. thing. Yes. I mean, intuitively drawing something into your lungs sounds bad. Yes. This doesn't intuitively tell me I'm doing something that is harmful to my health. I mean, if it's not doing the same things tobacco is doing somehow degrading your, your, mouth your gum. gums. Yeah. But back to weed. Um, and this just came out recently. So on the Will Cain show a few months ago, I had Alex Berenson, Alex Berenson of infamy when it came to COVID, but mm-hmm. you know, also who deserves a lot of redemption and in retrospect credit for getting things right about COVID. Um, he's people don't know this about Alex. He's been on the anti marijuana beat for quite some time. Okay. And his argument is that first of all, and, and I saw people talking about it this past week. When you say marijuana, people think 1960s joint. Sure. That is not what people are smoking. There's anymore. no doubt about it. The THC levels are astronomically there's, there's higher. No, I mean, you can smell the difference when you walk around, but the problem is not 
the level of weed. So here's the problem. It's been illegal for so long. The black market, because of the cartels and because of the demand in this country, the black market has grown so much greater than the legal market ever will. Because what happened was, you know, all of these municipalities and state governments and people writing ballot measures got together and they're like, I know what we'll do. People love weed so much. We will tax the living crap out of it. But what they did was they allowed people to grow it. So now there's a glut in places like Oregon, but it's so overtaxed in the dispensaries it's cheaper to buy it on the black market. Hmm. So because it's been illegal for unnaturally for so long, this black market has just exploded. Hmm. And that's where the real laboratory was. So if there was ever any chance for regulation to gain purchase, it would have been a few decades ago because now we're at the point I, I think we're past the point of no return. Like you can't make it illegal again because you're just going to make the black market bigger. And when the black market gets bigger, that's that's what really scares me is because that's when kids, my, uh, my youngest daughter, who's a freshman in high school, knew a girl who died from a fentanyl overdose from a weed gummy in, mm. in New York. And, you know, it's like they all knew each other and, I, I hope my kids internalize that because Bought it the just takes one. Th- it was given to her at a party. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't know where it came from. Well, the so what the, the research and again, Berenson talked about this a while back, but they're starting to show that that level of THC consumption has a direct. I don't know if we can go far as causational effect, but definitely correlation to higher rates of schizophrenia, psychosis um, behavior. And they've they're it, marijuana now is so engineered. That again, the 60 stereotype of, oh, hey, bro, is gone to where you can do like weed of any that'll make you be anything yes. that, that'll have you the huge up effect of, of meth yep. or whatever it may be. And so we've legalized a vehicle and that vehicle can become anything. It can become any drug effect. And we're acting like it has no societal negative effect. And that's what I'm getting at when it comes to marijuana. Well, no, I understand that. But the, but the problem is you're not going to put the horse back in the barn. That may be. That, and, and that's what worries me because the more illegal, the more prohibition you have, the more illegal fentanyl you have coming over the border because people are going to get it. It doesn't matter how. They don't care if there's not an FDA stamp on it. They are going to get it. So the government really needs to get out of the way in terms of this this overtaxation because they're actually making the problem worse. And to your point about schizophrenia, I don't doubt that. And I talked to Dr. Drew about what marijuana can do to schizophrenics. Schizophrenics, you know, that again is by and large a genetic condition. Can marijuana exacerbate it? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, and, and that's, well, that's where... Yeah, I've had that conversation as well. There is a chicken and egg thing. Like yeah. does marijuana make you bipolar or schizophrenic? Or if you are that and you turn to marijuana, does it actually end up exacerbating your condition? Yes. And I also, I don't believe people who say that marijuana is not addictive. It is addictive. Anything is addictive. Um, but trying to make it illegal, it's, it's not, it's not going to work. And all like the cartels want it to be illegal because then they don't have any competition and they can do whatever they want. And the cartels are more powerful than the government in Mexico. And they're, they're running Central America. I 100%, I, I, I buy what you're selling. I, I agree. And this is the libertarian instinct in me. The, the conservative instinct in me is back to our gambling thing. When the government, and I'm not saying this should or should not be the case. Mm-hmm. I think 
we said this earlier, what's just or unjust or moral or vice should not be dictated by whether or not something is legal. Mm -hmm. Those are two different things. Um, I think William F. Buckley famously said that to somebody, just because something is legal does not make it advisable. He said, uh, I can't remember who he was debating. Maybe it was Gore Vidal. He said, voting for Gore Vidal is legal. That doesn't make it advisable. No, and, and I agree but with I do that worry completely. About, I do worry about the gambling ha- uh, machine in everyone's hand, and mm-hmm. I do worry about the dispensary on every block in New York City. Well, those are illegal dispensaries. Those are not legal weed dispensaries, but the city government has decided not to crack down on them, which is frustrating to people who have applied for licenses and have paid and who've gone through the process and done their due diligence to make sure that their products are safe and tested. And, you know, those people are the ones who are getting screwed. And their customers are older people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s who can afford a more expensive product because they want to know it's gone through that quality control. But the proliferation of weed shops in New York, that has nothing to do with the legal weed market. Those are all operating illegally. Really? They just don't crack down on them. Yes. uh, There are very few. The brick and mortar? Yeah, uh, there are very few licenses for and and cops will shut them down, give them a ticket, and they'll be like, okay, and then they'll open two days later. Because in the past six months, Kenny, they've popped up everywhere. It's everywhere, yeah. And that's because of the mechanisms in place here in New York City. And it's the same everywhere. It's the same in Oregon and California. They're doing it wrong. And, you know, that people are going to smoke weed. It just – I, I hate to say it, but there there will be forces who decide that we cannot handle freedom. And we're always – in a worse off position in this country when we decide that. Do you feel that way? It's this debate always goes into these realms. Do you feel that way then about almost every vice? Like, do you expand it beyond marijuana into other drugs? And same thing with prostitution. Like these are vices or societal ills under the banner of freedom that you could argue are uncontainable. I mean, if you, if you're talking about prostitution, have you seen the stay at home girlfriends? The sags. Yeah. So it's a, it's a trend on TikTok where young women don't work. They're there to serve their boyfriends and make them breakfast and make them dinner, but they're not married. And then the boyfriends just leave them stacks of cash. Really? Yes. And it's like, that's prostitution. Like prostitution <laughs> is happening yeah. when you have a young, attractive woman and a body contrast out with an unattractive man who clearly has a lot of money. It is a form of prostitution. Like yeah. there, there are consensual actors on both sides of that transaction. I don't know. Something that you talked about made me think about only fans and Instagram girls. It's, this is, this is to bolster the argument for my Fox and friends weekend co-host, Rachel Campos Duffy, which is her argument. And I think she has a point is libertarianism in and of itself is not a good way to structure a society. It has to be undergirded by conservatism in culture that the founders envisioned. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, the founders primarily based that in a Christian conservative underculture. Because if you just allow freedom, you can allow any type of perversion to take over your culture under the banner of freedom. So you have to have people individually buying into some moral vision that says, Mm -hmm. Well, I may be free to do that. But should the government that. be telling you what the moral vision is? Well, real quick. So the, the idea is I may be free to do that, but I know mm-hmm. better than to do that. Sure. I, that's the but debate. You're also, how much should you're your also, government... You're also appealing to... How much should your natural government law. Now they're, they're wrapping us up, sadly. We have to con- continue this conversation. Like we're just getting started. Yeah, because this, like, <laughs> this is the beginning of a really important conversation. Yeah. And it's like, 
in many ways, I'm a very traditional person. Like Dr. Drew, we were doing an event with, with Kat Timp and Dr. Drew and Drew was like, you know, what kind of a libertarian are you? I'm like, I'm more of a conservative libertarian. And you know, it's like, Kat would be friends of the prostitute. I would be praying for the prostitute, <laughs> but we would still lobby for her profession to exist legally. We spent the whole time talking about drugs and prostitution and alcohol. Yeah. Well, God bless America. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, Will, to freedom. Cheers to freedom. <laughs> <laughs> Go enjoy your Zen. Happy, happy hour. Uh, this has been Kennedy Saves the World, along with Will Kane. I'm Kennedy. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.